This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spitz. It is difficult to raise children. I don't have any myself, but I work with children almost every day, which gives me about you know, 1% of an idea of what it might be like. I'm also obviously influenced by how my own parents raised my sister and me. They had a rather relaxed and flexible approach to parenting, which I'm now very grateful for. That said, while listening to this week's story, I realized that my own upbringing has given me an ingrained impulse to want parents to go easier on their children, so to speak. Stories like the one you are about to hear remind me of how we all only have our own point of view from which to operate. How when it comes to something as complicated as parenting, there are no black and white answers to what to do in any one moment, and how vast the gap is between my assumptions about what parenting might be like and the truth of the experience of raising children. This week's story from teller Kimberly Sue delves into a moment from her childhood where she has to confront a specific choice her mother makes, and for a moment, begins to understand why and how she might move forward. Recorded live at Webster's Wine Bar in May 2008, Second Story is proud to present The Deal. I am standing in the kitchen with my mother, the cool linoleum sticking to my bare 12-year-old feet. My mom's back is to me, bent over dishes in the deep sink. Her SOS pad scrapes against a copper-bottomed pan, intensifying my queasiness. I am beyond sick to my stomach. Most certainly, I am about to die. She doesn't know I'm behind her, wrapped in devastation, fingers balled into fists. They burn. They sting like only freshly chewed skin can sting. They are red and raw and hurt all the way to my heart. See, tomorrow is my birthday, and I'm going to be 13. <laughs> a teenager. <laughs> a teenager. I'm supposed to have a big birthday party, a special sleepover with girlfriends and giggles and popcorn. But my older sister blew it for me last month on her birthday, drinking beer in the garage with my brother's friends. Trina's birthday is exactly a month before mine, and a month isn't long enough for parents to forget. So, no big birthday for me, even though I've never tasted alcohol. Even though my sister offered me a sip of her wine cooler at the beach last week, and I said, no way, Jose. I'm the good one. So tomorrow, instead of girlfriends and giggles, the cousins are coming over, and the aunts and uncles. My brothers and sisters are required to attend, which ticks them off, because on a Sunday night, right before the school week starts, the last place they want to be is sitting on folding chairs in our family room, listening to the aunts and uncles talk about grandma's arthritis and the weather. Because my brothers and sisters have girlfriends and boyfriends. Girlfriends who crack their gum and wear tight jeans. Boyfriends who have hair on their upper lips and combs in their back pockets. My mom shakes off her hands before reaching for a yellow and white dish towel. And I imagine little water droplets hitting the window above the sink, the little window that offers a perfectly framed view of Mount Hood on clear days, which are few and far between in Laurel, Oregon. I should say something soon before she whips around on her way to the next task and trips over me, which will make her mad, even though she's the one who's running into me. 
I slide my thumbs across my cuticles. They are throbbing. How am I going to explain this? See, my mom and I made a deal because I drive her crazy sometimes. <laughs> like when I talk too loud and she's on the phone or laugh too loud at things she doesn't think are that funny. Or when I sit beside her in church and wiggle my knee. Okay, you know how you can sit and kind of balance on the ball of one foot and your knee will percussively pop up and down almost like it's having a spasm? <laughs> well, I love doing that. <laughs> but it drives her crazy. It makes her nuts. Makes her sigh the most disappointed sigh. And karate chop her hand out over my knee. Almost like she's slicing an invisible string, cutting down a dancing puppet. <laughs> But the thing that drives my mom the craziest is when I bite my nails. There's no midair karate chop to stop me then. No, nail biting gets contact, she'll smack my hand away from my mouth, which is always so surprising because I honestly don't realize I'm doing it. It just happens. My fingers wander there without notice until I've gone too far and I taste blood or smack. My hand is batted away from my mouth mid-chew. Once, my mom missed, hitting my nose, scratching me with her fingernail. Why, I could tell she felt bad, but she didn't apologize. So as soon as I was alone, <laughs> I squeezed the spot until a thin line of blood eked out. The scratch stuck around for nearly a week, and my brothers teased me, saying I stuck my nose in somebody else's business. But still, there was no apology. My mom's a homemaker. That's her job. Raising five kids is a career, she says. But she also cleans houses. Big mansions up on the hill with horses and four-car garages and more than one TV. I go with her on jobs sometimes. Yeah, I sit inside these massive homes with white carpets and whole rooms dedicated to one hobby. She works hard and fast. My mom uses her cleaning money to pay for things like my ballet lessons, Carrie's glasses, Trina's braces, and birthday presents. <laughs> so, the deal. If I can grow my nails to the tips of my fingers for my birthday party, my mom will buy me a ring, a real 14-karat gold ring with my birthstone, which is topaz. I don't really love the dirty yellow of topaz, but my mom got so excited and she loved the idea so much that I instantly agreed and we laughed out loud. And I was careful not to laugh too loud. So, the deal. Nails to the tips of my fingers for my birthday party, done! <laughs> What's funny to me though, is that when my mom stands in line at the bank or waits to get sliced turkey at the deli counter, she picks at her fingers. My mom has long nails she files to unnatural points and paints a frosty pink. But I have watched her take her right thumbnail and scratch at the skin around her left thumbnail. She goes down the line finger to finger and then switches hands. Well, I know she doesn't realize she's doing it either. Earlier this evening, when I was standing in the shower, my fingers shriveled up. The skin got all soft. I couldn't tear my eyes away. I had never seen that much nail before. They were so beautiful. I poked both pinkies into my mouth just to feel the smooth, round edges. Oh, I love you, I love you, I love you all so much, I whispered. And I closed my eyes 
And I dreamed of that yellow stone that I knew my mom went ahead and bought for me, even though we'd agreed to wait till after the party, after the deal was sealed. I envisioned myself in the center of the circle of my birthday party, aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters all around me, and I would pull out that lovely, lovely ring, and it would fit perfectly on my finger. See, I knew exactly what it would look like because right before I got in the shower, I found the little blue velvety box in the back of my mom's makeup drawer. <laughs> no, it was the first place I looked. It wanted to be found. <laughs> See, I overheard my mom on the phone telling one of the aunts that she was afraid she was going to have to take the ring back and get it sized. So I had to look for it. <laughs> I had to make sure it would slide on easily in front of everyone. And it would. It had fit perfectly. I stood there in the shower, and I practiced my best surprised response and pictured the special look that she and I would share, the one that said, we did it. And then I tasted blood. I looked down to see what I had done. Seven nails were nibbled down to nubs. Seven. Mom, I say, turning toward the fridge. I yank on the door handle so quickly that the lid on the butter dish inside that little compartment that's just for butter, it slides off. It's already getting hard to breathe. My hand-me-down Sean Cassidy nightshirt all itchy in my armpits. Get out of there. I'm making popcorn. We'll have a snack during Love Boat, she says. Oh, Love Boat and popcorn. Tonight would have been the perfect pre-birthday night. <laughs> Mom, I say again. My stomach gets all twisty and turny like it does when I get carsick. What, she says, turning toward me. Slowly, I extend my hands. She gasps, and I watch horrified as she takes in the damage. But you saw them. You saw them. You saw them at dinner. They were all the way to the ends. You saw them, I blurt out. For a moment, I see her consider weighing her options. Slowly, she folds the yellow and white dish towel, and the kitchen shrinks around me. My scalp gets hot. But then comes the disappointed sigh, and I know, even though she already has the ring, all is lost. Kimberly, you know I can't do that. Tomorrow is your birthday. That was the deal. I am crying, and I know I am on my way to those gasping, shuddering sobs that make it impossible to speak or breathe or think a single sensible thought. You have to learn, she said. What kind of example would I be if I didn't keep my word? What kind of mother would I be then? Oh, I want to say. You'd be the kind of mother who doesn't punish me because my sister drinks with boys. You'd be the kind of mother who isn't driven crazy by the things I love to do. But most of all, I want to say, you'd be the kind of mother who stands in line at the bank and picks her fingers. <laughs> but I can't say any of that because snot 
is flowing down my nose and my chest is convulsing with each jagged breath. She sighs and says, don't you think this disappoints me too? And then I know I won't say any of it, even if I could get it out. Because I love her. And I see her cleaning someone's bathroom floor, kneeling on a folded towel on her hands and knees for me. And I think, well, maybe next year we'll make the deal again and I'll do it. I'll make it happen for both of us. Even if I have to take masking tape and bind each finger so tightly they turn purple. We stand there, both of us slumped, and I think, oh, this is what they call tough love. I lean back against the fridge, my sobs finally settling into a few random hiccups. Something in me knows this is just the beginning of letting love for her silence me. I think about the next day's party and how tonight before bed, I will practice a new look for us to share. One that says, I understand. My mom starts picking at her thumb she doesn't even realize it, well, at least not right now. And I wonder, tonight when my mom takes her shower, if her fingers will hurt all the way to her heart. Normally, this is where I would credit the artists who helped put this story together. Unfortunately, this story was produced over a decade ago, and despite our best efforts, we were not able to locate that information. Thank you for your understanding. Second story is located in the traditional homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Odawa, Ojibwe, and Potawatomi nations. Our programming is made possible by the MacArthur Fund for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, Illinois Arts Council Agency, Innovation 80, the Lupo Family, Eric Rothstein and Gina Wamek, Athene Karras and Thomas Applegate, Jeffrey and Joan Goldwater, Katie and Peter Hauser, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast. <laughs>